Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. Tonight's episode is a throwback episode to one of the live events from Santa Barbara Community Church featuring Krista. If you've been listening a while, you've heard several of these throwback episodes before, and I hope you love them as much as I do. As with all of those live event recordings, you'll hear the speaker reference photos from the slideshow, and so you'll just have to use your imagination to picture them. Ladies, please enjoy Krista's story from March of 2014. Welcome. I'm honored tonight to introduce our story night speaker, Krista Froling. During the past 20 years, we have walked through many seasons of life together, and I've learned many things about Krista. She is a woman of integrity. She can be trusted with big things like parenting questions and little things like whether this outfit makes me look fat, but that's actually a big thing too. Krista is mischievous. She loves to laugh, and she is one of the funniest people I know. She is also really smart. She plays math games in her head for fun. Need I say more? Krista is generous with her resources, she's generous with the gifts God has given her, and she is generous with her time. But the thing I love most about Krista is her passion for people and for life. She is passionate about living her life in a way that is pleasing to God and that encourages and challenges me. Thank you, Krista, for being willing to share your story with us. Welcome. Being in community has a variety of relationships. We're all so related, right? One of the hardest parts of preparing for tonight for me was figuring out how to respect the line of when my story intersects with the stories of others. Part of my story is my mom's, and it's hers to tell. Some of my stories, my girlfriend's, and it's theirs to tell. Another big part of my story belongs to my husband and our three sons, and it's ours to tell together. But part of my story is yours, and I share it tonight vulnerably, honestly, and I am really nervous. So fear and trembling I have tonight, too. As with all of us, my life has been full of loss and full of joy. I call them the rough edges and the smooth curves. When I look back and reflect, I can see God's provision in it all. And I do not, I swear, I do not say that tritely. I hate trite, hate it. But I really believe that God is good. And regardless of whether or not I have that pretty little bow to wrap my story up with. Also woven throughout my story is a cast of characters, all of whom cannot be named. I have been poured into, encouraged, spurred on, And I am so thankful. God uses us in each other's lives so powerfully. Thank you, all of you. With that being said, I'm going to start at the beginning and tell you my story. I was born to Sharon and Harry Christofferson. So, for the first 21 years of my life, my name was Crystalline Christofferson. It's pretty awesome. (laughs) My sister, Andrea, was born when I was three. 
And I met my very good friend, Carrie Stone, who's here tonight when I, we were four. Also, when I was four, my mom took me to a kid's musical called The Music Machine. And it was really fun. I loved it. And at the end of that, they had an invitation to come forward and ask Jesus to reside in your life, to let him rule your life. And I asked my mom, can I go up? And she's like, yeah, go. And I sincerely, I was only four, I sincerely asked him into my heart that night and asked him to rule. And I feel really thankful for that night so early on in my life. When I was 10, my parents got divorced. My dad was unfaithful to my mom in countless ways. He could not keep his zipper up. And it's, yeah, it's a problem. At the time, I did not know that the things he was doing to me in the middle of the night, in secret, were wrong and that he had a really serious problem. My mom, my sister, and I eventually moved to a condo on the other side of town. I went to a new school, met new friends, and over the my sister and I, we went to visit him, my dad, every other weekend and were exposed, for lack of a better word, to more and more perverse things until, long story short, things were revealed and we, the visits with him were stopped. So I just told you that I was sexually abused by my dad. I don't, I, I kind of am able to say it without emotion now, but I have to tell you that the only reason I'm even here at all is because I have a good God and I have had some really great therapy. Also, I don't share it with many. It, it feels like a part of my story, a really delicate strand of pearls, and I'm really careful with whom I share it. And I also tell you because I want you to know that you're not alone in your own pain. We've all... We're all broken, and we all need healing. You know, I look, I, I had to go through a lot of photos for this tonight, and I, I honestly, I don't like looking at pictures of myself when I was young. I kind of feel sorry for that little girl. I think the loss of innocence is so real, and I think the rough edges of those years, they really show up in my life today still. I think that God has helped smooth them out in some ways, but I do, I do give him glory, and we'll get to that a little bit later. So in junior high and high school, you kind of always have to have a junior high and high school picture, right? This one actually was a better one. I couldn't do some, I couldn't do some of them. I have a really bad one of college. That's coming up soon. Yeah. Um, so, in uh, just, which one am I? <laughs> the one as tall as the coach. Taller. Eighth grade. Eighth grade. Yeah. So, I think this was the team, too. Yeah. So, when I was in junior high and high school, like I said, when I was four, I really made a very sincere commitment to follow God. I knew what I was doing. I had a strong faith, um, simple, childlike faith. And, but I just, I, junior high and high school, I chose to do my own thing. 
didn't stay on that straight and narrow path. Um, I deliberately did things I knew were wrong and things I'm not proud of. My summer before my junior year, I recommitted my life to the Lord, and I have had a lot of guilt and shame, but I've also really learned how to embrace forgiveness, and I'm thankful for that lesson, I guess. During my sister's junior high and high school years, she also chose to do her own thing. For her, her choices resulted in more extreme consequences. She had gang-related activity, major fights, um, juvenile hall, youth centers, wilderness camps, pregnancies. It was a long, it has been a long and wild ride, and it, it continues to be. Things at home, my mom worked so hard to support the three of us. She had to do a lot. And when it was my senior year of, the very end of my senior year of high school, and I remember we were in our condo in this, on the staircase, and I remember saying to her, Mom, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. And that began a conversation and eventual decision for the both of us. It wasn't an easy one, but I ended up moving out and living with Carrie Stone and her mom and brother for a, a season. And it, it actually, in the midst of some turmoil, it was hard for my mom, hard for me. But that, that season of life really provided some peace in the midst of turmoil. And I feel really thankful for that respite of peace in the midst of chaos. And we had Carrie and her brother David and I had some, some great times together that summer. <laughs> That's the worst one. I'm sorry. I totally threw you under the bus. <laughs> I mean, look at it. It's so bad. <laughs> I think there's worse ones, but that's a bad one. <laughs> there's really no words for that one, except I honestly, it's really nice to be able to say, time's been good to us. <laughs> <laughs> so throughout my high school years, I did know that I really wanted to go to college. And it was kind of one of the things that kept me from going too far off track. Like I said, my mom was single mom working really hard for our family, and a family in our church found out about our situation, and they were a young family, four kids under 10, and they took us under their wings and wanted and did pay for me to go to college. The whole four years, and I went to Westmont, so it wasn't like just, it was a big gift. And, and not just a financial gift, I'm telling you, they have been, they, they continue to be very important people in our life. And I feel like God really, in the middle of a dark time, it was a way of seeing some light, I think. Um, it's the best way to describe it, I guess. So I, like I said, I got to go to Westmont College, and it was there that I met Chris, my husband. Life has been blissful <laughs> ever since. <laughs> That's the end. That's the end. I'm just kidding. No, he, he is really, really great, and I am so lucky, but come on. Bliss. No blissfulness all the time. God has really used Chris as a big part of my own healing process, and I feel very thankful for that man. 
That was a long time ago, too. We got married really young. We started working and kind of just let life happen. We have so many great memories of those years, lots of fun family vacations to Hawaii and surfing with Brad and Cynthia and really great. We both had professional careers, worked on developing our business minds and saving money and got involved in different leadership things at church and in the community. I, I Sometimes I feel like we kind of grew up together. We determined who we wanted to be as adults together, figured out what we wanted to be as a family together. Some sweet times. Eventually, we decided that we wanted to have kids. Aren't they so cute? <laughs> so we went through many years of not getting pregnant and a whole lot of fertility tests and all that stuff that goes along with that before we had we got pregnant with our first son, David. It was long and hard and dark, very dark season. I still don't like thinking about it. I have these three healthy boys. That infertility season is, I don't like it. So David and Andrew, the two older ones, and there was one in between that we lost. They came as a result of procedures. That little baby right there. Night of passion. <laughs> I love being a mom, and I'm really, really thankful for those boys. Um, it's funny how the timing of it all worked out, because there was a, num a lot of other moms or women who got pregnant around the same time or adopting kids at the same time by the when I got pregnant with David. And so David and I got to be a part of a playgroup there's a lot of girls in that picture who are here tonight. They're 14 now, it's old. So we met intentionally every week for years and years. And they, very significant part of my life, that season and those women and those kids. And I, I remember one time, I've told this story before, but I was, we were getting ready to go. And I said to David, I think he was about three at the time, come on, David, get ready. We have to go to your playgroup. And he looks up at me and he says, Mom, it's not my playgroup. It's yours. <laughs> I think it was kind of true. <laughs> so, so children have played a really sweet role in my life. This photo was taken the day that little Johnny was born. And it shows my nieces, my nephew, Madeline, Julia, Hannah, and Dominic. I love being an auntie, and I, I'm so thankful for family. And even as I was going through that really dark season of wanting my own kids, I had the blessing of these in my life. And I feel like God really used these children to shine light into my own life, even in a dark season. I'm going to share with you a couple stories of loss that I have a hard time talking about. Please bear with me. So remember Carrie, that beautiful photo. For many years, her brother was living in Belgium with his wife. In early 2003, they came to visit, David and Diane. And David Stone had already met my son, David, when he was a baby. And this time they came out, and we got to have a dinner with them. And he got to meet Andrew, who was nine months at the time. Carrie was pregnant with her first baby. And we 
had a great dinner that night. Her, Carrie's mom was there and just reflecting on time and babies and life and lots of years of history together. Two months later, Carrie got the shocking news that her brother had died. This is a place where stories intersect dramatically, and I feel like I tread on ground that is very painful, and also I want to run from it. I remember it so clearly, and it is so painful. It's been 11 years since David died, and walking through the process of grief with Carrie, alongside Carrie, has taught me a lot about honesty, intentionality, asking good questions. Carrie's been very thoughtful. It's been painful and inspiring at the same time. I remember thinking around that time, dang, I think it was a different word, dang, it's good to have such good friends, but it is really terrible when bad things happen, when terrible things happen. And I think one of my defense mechanisms that I learned as a little girl is to ignore the pain, to pretend it's not there, to run away. And it's been such a process to learn how to stick with it, to not walk away. I never would have abandoned my friend but I would have liked to have avoided the pain. I know that people say that through adversity you grow and through struggles you gain wisdom. And it's all true, I guess, but it also kind of sucks. Who likes pain? Another really painful and dark time for me and countless others was when Andrew Pop died. I'll never forget that night when Chris told me the way that we sat together with friends, watching our own children play fearlessly and innocently. I knew Andrew from youth group. I had the privilege of being a youth leader for a group of young girls who are now beautiful young women. They were a year younger than Andrew and it was a close group, and he was a big part of our time together. His death was a complete surprise, and it still shocks me, and it still hurts my heart. Two summers after he died, I was coordinating the summer ministry, the children's ministry program, with the very obvious oversight of Trish Pop, who is our children's ministry pastor and Andrew's mom. And she was at my house. You know, I had thought of her and Norm, her husband, every single day since Andrew died. And she was at my house. We weren't very close at that time. So at my house, we were going over the material for that summer program and just doing business. And she's leaving. She's getting up to leave. And... I said, I felt like I had to say it. And I said, Trish, I just want you to know I am so sorry about Andrew. I loved him. And I'm really sorry for your loss. Those statements really opened up a friendship with Trish that I never would have imagined. 
um, I've learned that it's really important to speak life to people. So in the midst of our good life, there have been major battles and losses. Walking down the road of grief with friends as they were and are losing loved ones has changed me. There are so many to name. They're double mastectomies, brain tumors, chemo, skin grafts, amputations. Some of the losses are too raw to talk about right now. I share it because, like I said, it's deeply influenced who I am today. And whether I like it or not, that grief has become a part of my story. I learned how to listen to God's voice, how to say the hard or uncomfortable thing. I learned how to stay, how not to run away. I learned the meaning of joy, even while accepting and being honest with my broken heart. And I learned to believe my belief that God is good. I have to choose to believe it. Even in the midst of pain and loneliness, he shows himself in nights like this, or in meals, community, weddings, births, tears, losses. He shows up in us, through us. I can see this truth now. He works to smooth out those edges that aren't always obvious for many years, if ever. I look at that photo, and I love it for many reasons. The waves are looking good. The boys are having fun swimming in the ocean. The breakwater's calm. Chris is staring longingly at the waves. So the thing about this picture, you don't know unless I tell you. So this is a snapshot, right? A snapshot in time. And what it doesn't tell you is what happened moments later. Chris succumbed to the waves. The waves got bigger. I was sitting on the sand with Johnny, the little one, playing. One eye on him, one eye on the two older boys. The two older boys, the waves are getting bigger, bigger. They're getting sucked out and out, and they cannot come in. And so Johnny was three and super naughty. And so <laughs> I, I was like, Johnny, you move, you're busted. And I, I didn't know what, what he was going to do, but I had to go save these other two. And so I'm strong, and I rushed out, saved my children, and came back. Johnny stayed. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you can't tell any of that by looking at that photo. There's even birds flying peacefully up by the waves. But uh, the waves are, the waves, they're beautiful and peaceful, and then suddenly deadly and painful and scary. But I have to choose it all. I can't have one without the other. I have to have the whole package. All this, all losses, they happen while we're living life, right? This all happened in our early years of parenting and living life and I, there's part of me that feels like I fell asleep a little bit during those early years of parenting. Fell asleep doing really good things like raising babies, volunteering, working, opening my home, all kinds of great things, but they don't seem like sleep-producing things. 
but so I feel like it's the best way for me to describe it, fell asleep. My awakening began, I feel like, on the kindergarten yard for David when he went to kindergarten. He had so many buddies, all different looks, different languages, and they played together wonderfully. And I remember thinking, that's so great. Then I came to pick him up. Here's the white moms. Here's the brown moms. No interaction, no playing together, no nothing. And I remember being really bothered by that. So David had a really good friend named Jose that year, and they wanted to hang out. And so Jose introduced me to his mom, and we, my broken Spanish, her broken English, and they came over, they had a play date, the whole family, and we had a, we developed a really special friendship between them, with them. And I feel like it was kind of the beginning of my eyes being reopened to things that I cared about. Um, when my youth group girls graduated from high school in 2006, we had the opportunity as a family to go with them to Guatemala. And I feel like that was another step in um, my awakening process. And I also remember at that time, too, feeling pretty ashamed or guilty for what I had. When we came back from that trip, we continued living life. And I, I, Chris kind of named it, well, I don't know if he thought of it or somebody else did, but we went through, I feel like, a period of what we call holy discontent. So thankful for what we had, but just not knowing where, what um, God wanted from us. I started reading, I always read, but books particularly on poverty and child advocacy and I just, I'm going to read this part because it's the best way I can explain it. I had this strong feeling in my heart that we needed to spend some time away from our own culture in order to learn from another. We have had lots of opportunities to learn and serve here in town, then and now. Yet I felt like we needed to have a time away from our own culture for us as a family and for our kids to be able to better understand God's world and the things that he cares about. We began taking little steps here in town and got involved with a great group of people and learned so much from them. We spent some time in Mexico. That's a photo from Mexico. We grew in our, well, we tried to grow in our Spanish. We didn't. We tried. The boys, Johnny was three. That's all I need to say. But, and I, that is around the time I feel like my guilt was transformed more into an attitude of thankfulness. And I, I just was really, had this deep desire to show Jesus to people by caring for their physical needs. So it may seem like a big leap, but it was actually a series of a lot of small steps over six years that made, helped us make our decision to move our family to Argentina. We went to partner with a local church to help grow their microcredit program. We had seen and researched how it could be done, all in the name of Jesus and the hope that he gives. And we were inspired to use, we both have business knowledge and experience to help people improve their lives. So we moved far away. And you want to know what? We got thrashed there. Thrashed. Our partner pastor preached lies and only wanted us for the money he thought we would bring him. The first six months were really awful. My mom and stepdad came after about four months and helped us figure out how to get 
physically better. We were very sick. My mother-in-law and her husband came two months later and helped us begin the process of emotional healing. And I, I have to say, I am really lucky because I love my mother-in-law. She's really awesome. Chris has a great mom, and I'm so thankful for her in my life. So two months later after that, two months so Melinda and Frank left, and two months later, Norm and Trish Pop came, and they spoke life to us. Full circle. So through counsel from our family and some good friends, we ended up terminating the partnership with the pastor. And it was painful, obviously, and actually it was really embarrassing. I mean, we moved our whole family halfway across the world, and for what? What the heck? So we did get involved in other things in the city, and we had some awesome stories, great stories, working with people who have nothing and who want to know Jesus. And the hope that he, I, I honestly feel like I was so tired of, it wears me out, honestly, seeing the poverty and the way that it affects generation after generation after generation. And I have to say, though, the only way it will change, whether it's here or in Mexico, Guatemala, Argentina, wherever, the only way lives will be changed, whether it's ours, materially poor people, the only, lives, the only way it's going to be changed is through Jesus. I truly believe that. And that's, that's what I have to remember in all of life. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. The only agent for change is Jesus himself. As I reflect on that time in Argentina, and I do have plenty of great stories that I can share some other time, I do see loss. In the midst of light and joy, I see a lot of loss. I see a loss of a dream that Chris and I had to live with and serve with and learn from, the materially poor. We wanted to do something big and poverty alleviating and God glorifying. There were so many rough edges, not many easy curves. The edges, when I look back, they're still rough and splintery, but they're less ugly, and I still believe God is good in it. So when I say that it's not about me, and it's not about what I can do, it kind of seems like, well, duh, but it was a lesson I had to learn, and I don't ever want to forget it. I was emptied of myself, in all of the losses, I've been continually emptied of myself. And it's kind of a nasty picture because I kind of think of it like a shovel, like digging myself out of myself. <laughs> it's nasty. But I also feel like I don't want to be filled up with myself anymore. I, I do think that as I empty, am I, I'm emptied of the ugliness, I can be more filled with who he is and he can fill me with himself, in the pain and the uncertainty, I've been changed. And I, I hope and I think it's for the better. So here we sit in Santa Barbara. I love living here. I love my life. I love my friends. I love my family, my church, my job. We're in a great time of life. I know there's going to be more loss. There's a lot of loss last week. 
I'm still trying to figure it out. Like I said at the beginning, I know it's not about having the pretty ribbon to tie up into a fancy little bow to wrap up my story. I don't know where God is leading, but I want to follow him. I want to continue living wide awake and aware of the pain and the loss and the joy and the laughter. It's a choice I have each day, and you can pray with me that I continue making it, to live with abandon alongside the grief and the curves and the edges. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode, ladies. As always, I hope you were blessed and encouraged by the story and were able to relate to Krista in some way. Stories are amazing, whether they are just audio on a podcast or live at an event surrounded by hundreds of other women. For anyone that is within driving distance of McMinnville, Oregon, please mark your calendars for May 12th, 2022, when we have our next live story night. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us next time for our next story. Good night, y'all. The Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Women.